Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together. Glad to have you along with us as we continue to talk about the church and in particular worship. That's what we're discussing these days. Uh, for those of you in the U.S., if you haven't voted already, please vote. Uh, we were uh, in our New Covenant School of Theology course last night on biblical theology, and I threw out that exhortation and someone said, where does the Bible say we have to vote? Well, doesn't, right? I would say, love your neighbor is all we need. <laughs> we here in the U.S., we have the freedom and the responsibility to choose who it is that enacts laws that we are required to obey. And there is a lot of wicked lawmaking going on. And we, I think we're going to give an account for how we vote. I think the Lord is going to ask us that someday. And love for our neighbor says, vote for people who are not going to bring laws in the U.S. that would bring God's wrath and judgment upon us as a nation. So I will leave it there for now, but uh, I exhort you, vote, because uh, this nation belongs to King Jesus, and we want our laws to reflect that. And love for your neighbor means vote for people who aren't going to allow you to kill your babies and steal your money and so on. All right. So uh, worship. Yesterday, we talked about the one Greek word proskuneo, which is one of the words translated worship. Let me give you a pop quiz. Uh, do you remember what the English word worship means? Do you remember where it comes from? I was making the point yesterday that it's it's not a really helpful word. I wish the translators would be more precise, more specific, because there are two main words that are translated worship in the uh, in the Bible, and especially the New Testament. And as we discovered yesterday, uh, there's a third word that the ESV translates as worship that is usually rendered as minister. And in the one passage we looked at, that wasn't helpful for them to translate that worship. That That's not uh, not quite the same thing. And there's actually a fourth word that is sometimes translated worship. I don't know if we'll take the time to look at that or not. But uh, I was trying to make the point yesterday that this word, this English word worship, uh, comes from the concept of describing or declaring something worthy and that is just not terribly helpful when we look at what the Bible actually says about worship. Uh, so I, I, would be, I would vote for eliminating the word worship altogether <laughs> from the New Testament, uh, from the Old Testament for that matter. Um, it's never going to happen. No one's going to listen to me here. But I want you to understand what is being conveyed by these words. So the first one that we looked at was proskuneo. And it means to bow down, right? To do obeisance, to genuflect, to kneel. Now, here's the question, and this is this is sort of trying to bring uh, what we talked about yesterday, and also what I read in some of your comments, and and trying to put this together. Where do we have biblical warrant for taking that action of bowing down? And saying what it's really expressing is an attitude. You understand what I'm saying? 
we do that. People in the comments did that. We, we do this all the time as we talk about worship. We put it in our songs. You know, we bow down. But can you find biblical warrant for taking this word that means to kneel, to bow, and say, well, what it's really getting at is an attitude, not the action. The word itself means your face is up here, and when you proskuneo, your face goes down. <laughs> right? If you kneel, your face goes down. If you bow, your face goes down. If you fall on your face, your face goes down. All of those are fair renderings of this word proskuneo, and we extrapolate that and say, well, what it's really talking about is an attitude. I'm originally from Missouri, the show me state. Show me, show me in the scripture where that is what the word is communicating. And it matters because we take this idea and we bring it into our quote unquote worship service. And we say, see, we're called to worship. So get together on Sunday morning and uh, have someone up front and lead us in worship and all that. So I, I'm not going to repeat all of it, but that's that's where we're at. All right, so the second word that is translated worship is the word latreo, and it's cognates, latreia. This comes across in our English word idolatry. I should have made you a little slide here uh, th to show you this. Uh, think about idolatry. The, the first part of the word is idol, and the second part is latreia, latry in English, I-D-O-L, idol. And then L-A-T-R-Y, latry, those are the combination of two words, idol and latreia. Uh, this word latreia is often translated to serve. Sometimes it's translated to worship. Um, sometimes it just mean, it, it means to serve. And we'll, we'll talk about what that service looks like here in a minute. But do you see what I'm, you see what I'm getting at? This word idolatry is to serve idols. Okay, so that's the other word that's often translated as worship. So let's take a look at, uh, at where this is used. In the Old Testament, the latreia is usually focused on temple worship, temple service having to do with sacrifices, the, the physical bringing an animal and slitting its throat and tearing it apart. And depending on what kind of sacrifice it is, burning part of it, sometimes a priest got to eat a part of it. But that whole temple service is this word, latria. So you, you can see, right, why serving idols meant you're doing this temple work in the idol um temple in the, in the in Baal's temple or Ashtoreth's temple in the high places, or if you're doing it, this latria for Yahweh, you're doing it at the temple in Jerusalem. Let me show you. Uh, Joshua 22, 26, and 27 says this, therefore we said, let us build an altar, right? Sacrifice, altar, temple area. Let us build an altar, not for burnt offering or for sacrifice, rather it shall be a witness between us and you and between our generations after us that we are to perform the service. There's the word latria in the Greek. Perform the service of the Lord Yahweh 
before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, so that your sons will not say to our sons in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. This is a treaty that uh, Joshua is making. Uh, the, the context here isn't crucial for this, so I'm going to skip on past it. Do you see this word right here? The service is the word latria. And what kind of service is Joshua talking about? It is service in the, the sacrificial system, the temple kind of worship, altar, burnt offering, peace offering. Okay, are you, are you tracking with me? So this word, latria, so the, the, uh, the proskuneo word means to bow down. This word means to serve, to do work, in the sacrificial offering temple context. Now, it, it this one's a little more flexible than proskuneo. It does have some other connotations along the way. But generally, in the Old Testament, this is how it's used. Are you, are you tracking with me? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Do you see that? So if you're going to translate this word worship here in Joshua, you would say these burnt offerings, peace offerings and stuff, uh, this is a sign, a witness between us that we are going to worship Yahweh with our burnt offerings and so on. Second uh, Kings 17 says, They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven. That is the word bow down. That's proskuneo and served Latria Baal. So here, uh, the writer is saying they, the Jews uh, stopped obeying Yahweh. They made these images, the molten images, calves. They made an Asherah. They bowed down before those things as uh, as worship to uh, the host of heaven, and they served, offered sacrifices to Baal. Do you see the distinction right here in this text? There's the bowing down before these idols they made and serving Baal by worshiping them through, uh, through the temple offerings and so on. Uh, one more here in the New Testament in Luke. Remember Anna? the uh, prophetess that uh, comes to see the baby Jesus. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple. Latreya ing, <laughs> serving night and day with fastings and prayers. So there she's not uh, offering, uh, animals here, but her fasting and praying in the temple is Latreya. Tracking with me? So we have these two different words. One is to physically genuflect, to physically bow down or kneel. And the other is to, uh, bring your actions, your work in the temple offering area. So those are the two predominant terms that are translated 
worship in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, if you recall, we looked at this yesterday, does not apply proskuneo, bowing down, doesn't apply that in the gathered church setting. He doesn't tell us, and it's not just Paul, Peter, nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us to come and bow down in the new covenant. At least I'm still waiting. Maybe I missed one, but I'm waiting for somebody to, to show me where that's when we gather together as the church that we are supposed to be bowing down before something. Now that some of you are thinking, yeah, but we're our heart attitude. And that's why I said at the beginning, show me. Show me where we can extrapolate that and the way we bow down now is some attitude rather than an action. And then the question is, where does the Bible say to do that as the gathering of the church? Still waiting for somebody to show me that. And here's where in Romans 12, Paul uses the word latria here. I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your latria. See, he's using Old Testament imagery, but now we don't bring animals. We don't go to the temple with our sacrifices and offerings. We present our entire body. That's our whole person, everything we are, as living sacrifices. Not, you know, the sacrifices of the old covenant, they died. Right? That animal before it was offered to the Lord was killed. We don't bring dying or dead sacrifices, we bring living sacrifices. And he says, this is our latria. How do you serve in God's temple in the new covenant? You give your whole being, your whole body, your whole life to the Lord. It is not restricted to Sunday morning, to the gathering in a building that we call the church, anything like that. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 3, Paul says this, I thank God whom I latria, whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul sees his temple service, his temple worship as bringing prayers day and night for the Christians, for these, uh, for, for Timothy here. See that? One more. Hebrews 9. Even the first covenant, the old covenant, the covenant with Israel, had regulations of latria. And you see here it's translated divine worship. So the first covenant had requirements, regulations, instructions on how to do the temple worship, the temple work, the temple service the, in the earthly sanctuary. That's old covenant stuff. We should not call a building or a room that we gather in the sanctuary. That was an old covenant idea of this being a unique place to worship God. That's done. 
He goes on, there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which the lampstand, the table, the showbread, or sacred bread rather, this is called the holy place. If you know your, your temple and tabernacle uh, layout, you know that there's, there's um, uh, I don't have time to get all this. There's the holy place and the most holy place, right? He's talking about these, these things. And there's a second veil, or behind the second veil, there's a tabernacle, which is called the holy of holies and the golden altar, the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, the golden jar, manna, Aaron's rod, which budded, the tablets of the, of the covenant um, uh, were above it, the cherubim of glory, the mercy seat, all those things, right? In the tabernacle and the temple. When these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle performing the latreia, the worship. So in the old covenant context, all this tabernacle temple sacrifice stuff is the latreia. But into the second, that's the holy of holies, only the high priest could go, couldn't go without blood and so on. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed as long as that outer tabernacle is uh, still standing. In other words, the whole holy place idea with the veil and you can't get in there to where God is, that is a symbol that you don't have access to God. That's that's really what the old covenant system, that's what it was exposing. God is right there in that temple, right there in that holy of holies. He's right over there in that in that place. But there's a curtain there that screams to you, keep out, danger. If you go in there, he'll strike you dead because he is holy you are unholy. You don't have access to God. Only the high priest, one day a year after extensive cleansing, could go in there. The other 364 days a year, it was stay out. Nobody's allowed in. That, that's a very quick summary of the, of the point here that the writer of Hebrews is making. And he says here, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the latria-er, the worshiper, perfect in conscience. All those sacrifices, all that stuff done in the temple and the tabernacle did not cause the one serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord with latria, did not make his conscience clean. Since they relate only to food and drink and various washing regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation, which has happened now. This is not the 16th century Reformation. <laughs> this is the first century Reformation. Jesus came. Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation. So there's not talking about a gathering in a building somewhere. Not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. That's the heavenly temple. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkling of those who have been defiled sanctify for cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, cleanse your conscience from dead works to latria, the living God? And how do we latria the living God in the new covenant? We give our whole beings to him. So why am I stressing this? Why am I doing this? Because I think there is a, a, a negative outcome to thinking that a church building is something like a new covenant temple. 
and that we have sacred space called the sanctuary and sacred time where there is a call to worship and then we have our order of worship service and then the benediction to the worship service and then we go do something else. None of that is in the new covenant. Everywhere is the sanctuary. Everywhere and every time that there is, every second of every day, is our call to worship. And worship, service, is all of our life. And it's not about a song. This, is, this may be the hardest linguistic change to make for people. We associate worship and song as though singing is New Covenant worship. We have a worship leader who's the one who leads songs. Or in some traditions, it may be the whole order of service, but certainly in more contemporary, as we call it, contemporary churches, it's the music leader. And you can get a degree in worship pastoring, that kind of thing. There's just no warrant for that in the scripture. All right, let me see. Uh, Lon here says, uh, was the woman in Luke 7, 36, who kissed Jesus' feet, dried her tears with her hair, etc., not in an attitude of bowing down in addition to action? Uh, let me, uh, I'm not sure I understand exactly what you're asking, but let me pull up the passage here. Uh, all right. I mean, I think at one level, I'm probably, of course, going to say her attitude. Okay, so now one of the Pharisees was requesting to dine with Jesus. He entered the Pharisee's house, reclined. There was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that she was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume Standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said, if this were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this is, the woman who's touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. He said, a moneylender had two debtors. And he goes on and gives this uh, parable. Um... I'm trying to see if the word proskuneo occurs here. Uh, I don't see the word proskuneo here. Um, so is she, does she have an attitude of bowing? Uh, maybe. You said bowing was an action, not an attitude. I agree with your point of worship is everywhere all the time. Jesus addressing your single point. Adjuster. Yeah. Um, so where in the text here do you see the idea of bowing down? She is very clearly showing him honor and reverence. And um, so she has an attitude of reverence for him. Absolutely. And that attitude of reverence is... In, in the presence of a superior one is, um, is uh, what's the word? It is expressed, it is demonstrated through 
the physical act of bowing down. But I'm well, the question I'm asking is, are we free to extrapolate? You see what I'm saying? See the difference? So if I'm in, uh, and there's still some cultures where this is the case. It's not true here in the U.S., right? We don't bow before anybody. But if I were in a culture uh, where there was someone who ranked me, ranked higher than me, a, a dignitary, a king, kingly figure, or in, in some Asian countries where it's, it's just the proper thing, everyone, you just show this kind of reverence for, right? The, there's an action to demonstrate that I am inferior to you because you're the king. The action that we see in the scripture in that case is to physically bow or kneel, right? You can physically bow or kneel and your heart be far from it. You, you, can, you can be doing this without meaning it. And you can have an attitude that acknowledges you are superior to me and not go through the action of kneeling. What I'm trying to hold us to is what does the scripture say? And I'm looking for proskuneo, the bowing down, as a uh, to see that word used as the attitude rather than the action. And I'm not just splitting hairs here. I'm trying to do that to help us to think through what is it we are supposed to do as we, when we gather as the body of Christ. So our time is up. Thanks for your comments and questions. Uh, we will pick up there tomorrow and relook again at what the scripture says we are to do when we gather as the body. Have a great day. Americans, go vote. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow.